Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 197, Holloway versus Rodriguez. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com, and with me as always is Keith Schillen, executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing? I'm doing good, brother, man. I'm not going to lie, it's a little bit of a tough week. It's been really busy for me, so it was tough to get into it. A little bit of a hangover, considering we had back-to-back numbered UFC events. You know, then we also had uh, PFLs put in there, Bellator. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff. But then I get to the main event of this card, and then I'm super excited again. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I mean, coming out of UFC 267 and 268 the last couple of weeks, I would have been fine with a week off to kind of let all these storylines continue to develop like there was stuff for us to talk about we had a likely shoe in for fight of the year that it's going to be in the rear view here in just a matter of days I, I would have been fine with a little more time to digest this like i don't need to go back to those like 2003 days of there being three or four months between pay-per-views yeah but a little bit of a breather wouldn't have hurt yeah yeah but uh, the train must go on we got a lot of fights we got some ranked fighters so let's do it the, the train must go on, and we lost about from this uh, event just today as um, Kyle Dawkins and Roman DeLeeds were pulled off the bill. We've had all kinds of fights fall off of future UFC cards basically this week because here it's finally starting to kick in that unvaccinated athletes are not being led into the U.S., which is why you're seeing all these Brazilian and all these uh, especially Eastern European fighters falling off cards. Uh, anytime that you see a fight canceled between now and the end of the year and it is, quote, travel issues, just understand that the issues are probably that they're not being allowed to travel here because they haven't got the shot. So, yeah. How, how, how ironic is it that we have fighters pulling out of fights and, and obviously, as you're mentioning, not their fault or, you know, because of new rules and everything but how ironic is it that yaya rodriguez is not one of the fighters that have dropped out yet i mean we'll get to that because yaya rodriguez's last couple of years have been an ordeal uh i mean him and beat were rumored to be fighting each other for about two years straight <laughs> it's like the the poor man's khabib versus tony yeah. like it was just destined never to happen yeah <laughs> newer generations I mean, we're looking at 11 fights here. Obviously, the top fight on this card is an absolute banger. It's about as good as you're going to get for a fight night main event, really. You know, a, a top 10 matchup that's almost guaranteed action. South of that, this is just another fight night card, but I, I think there are some goodies here mm -hmm. for, for the getting. Like, there are a couple of really high-end prospects fighting. There are a couple of fighters who probably have their back against the wall, and that can sometimes pull a an interesting, you know, inspired performance out of somebody. What, what are you, what are you smiling about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm smiling that we have a number one contender matchup. That you're not even talking about. Oh, well, like, please. <laughs> I mean, she hasn't fought in three years, but Leah Letsy gets one win and she's fighting for the Dude, title. <laughs> I was making fun of this on my other show. Cause they were, you know, uh, they said, this is the ultimate one fight card. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Spencer versus Letson might be the fight that puts its winner closest to a title shot in their division. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the, the stakes are high for Max Holloway and Leah Letson. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I thought she was retired. <laughs> Next not, his, I assumed she was. I, I mean, I hadn't really thought of her 
but if you, somebody asked me, I would have been like, yeah, I guess you probably retired. Like, <laughs> dude, I, I mean, we'll get to that fight when we get to it. But if we're talking Saturday night about Leah Letson being the next challenger for the 145-pound title, just <laughs> shut that shit down. <laughs> <laughs> but that's probably – I'm not saying she's going to win, but that's if she wins, that's probably what we're talking about. <laughs> and, I mean, who? all, all joking aside – and I know we got to get into these fights, but we're kind of killing some air because we, we lost some. Who would it be if it wasn't Leah Letson? I, 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 Norma Dumont, I guess. It'd probably be Dumont. Okay. Like, So she's the backup? She's she's the person weighing in as the backup? Yeah. I, I mean, Dumont I mean, and Letson. Harrison, you signed Kayla Harrison for the PFL and she goes immediately title shot? I don't know. Like, what do you, what do, you do? Yeah, I mean. The UFC is obviously very interested in Harrison since she was there at UFC 268 sitting right next to Michael Bisping. They panned the camera to him, said, hey, there's Michael Bisping, paused, and then didn't say anything about Harrison and, like, moved on to the next thing. It was – oh, it was such a diss. And, it was and, terrible. And Dana White pretended that he didn't know that she was there. Yeah. Well, I mean, she got better treatment than Eddie Alvarez, who was, like, basically, like, pushing up against the barricades, like, expecting to get, you know, some sort of mention and just got – nothing no. the temperature dropped in that arena by about it, 10 degrees yeah but i'm sure dana didn't know that she was there because i'm sure the people who give out the free tickets and gave one to kayla harrison didn't mention anything to dana oh, I'm, I'm sure they're, they're oh, yeah no oh, oh maybe she bought a ticket that's what it is kayla harrison <laughs> bought like second row yeah dead center oh i mean she didn't make just make a million dollars so maybe she did yeah you know she, she <laughs> shall we dig into these fights yeah let's do it all right let, let's do it man the first fight out of the gate at UFC Vegas 42 is a middleweight matchup between Kennedy and Zuchukwu and Da Unjung. And Zuchukwu, the 29-year-old Nigerian by way of Dallas, is 9-1 overall. He's 3-1 since joining the UFC out of his second run through Dana White's Contender Series. He won on the first season of the series, but was so raw and I think he'd only had like three or four fights at that point, that they sent him back for some, uh, they, they gave him a de developmental deal, the same kind that they gave Greg Hardy after his first win on the Contender Series. Went back and won some more fights. He appeared again on the second season of the Contender Series in 2018, uh, head-kicking Dennis Bryant, and was signed from there. He lost his UFC debut to Paul Craig by a triangle choke submission late in the third round. Stop me if you think you've heard that one before. Uh, he's bounced back from that with three impressive wins over Darko Stosic, Carlos Olberg, and Danilo Marquez. Uh, the most recent of those, Marquez, was back at UFC Fight Night Gone versus Volkov back in June. He'll be taking on Jung. The 27-year-old Korean is 14-2-1 overall. He's 3-0-1 in the UFC, uh, has beaten Kadis Abragimov, Mike Slow Rodriguez, and most recently, William Knight, uh, whom he beat back in April at UFC on ABC, Vittori versus Holland. Uh, that was a bounce back from his only real setback in the UFC, which was a split draw loss to Sam Alvey at UFC 254. Odds on this one are fairly close, close to a pick'em, as befits two of the more interesting uh, up-and-comers in the division. Uh, Jung right now is about minus 115, and Zuchuku minus 105. Uh, as just the slightest of underdogs. Uh, this, I mean, this is an important fight. These are these are two guys that uh, have looked very good in their UFC run so far. Enzatuku has had that one setback, but you know what? For a guy as raw as he is, 
I mean, he was tailor-made for Paul Craig to take a beating and just wait for his opening. Uh, Jung, similarly, you know, he's beaten some solid people in especially Rodriguez and Knight. Neither of those guys are, are bad. And he's a young guy, and he just got dragged into a Sam Alvey fight by Sam Alvey. Uh, I, I think, like, one or both of these guys have good upside in this division. My concern for Saturday is that this has the makings of maybe kind of a snoozer of a fight. Both of these guys' problem is that they're way, to, to my mind, they're way too willing to let the other fighter lead. Uh, and in Jung's case, that's really what cost him against Alvey. Uh, I think he's a better fighter in every way than Sam Alvey right now. But that whole split draw thing, what it hinged on, and for what it's worth, I scored the fight for Alvey, but it hinged on whether you thought Jung got a 10-8 round in the third round once he really turned the Jets up. I think if he fought with that sense of urgency any earlier, he might have stopped Alvey or just won an uncontroversial decision. Uh, so I think that was a draw or, again, what I thought probably should have been a loss for him based on just being too willing to accept Alvey's pace. And Alvey's pace is slow, slow, slow. Enzichukwu, uh, aside from the loss to Craig, kind of similar. Like, I... It's kind of he like waits too long to really get into gear. So I can see this fight like kind of dragging for the first half. Uh, between the two, I am going to take the guy with just the better physical tools, even though both these guys are big middleweights. Both of them are athletic. Enzichuku was like stupidly big, uh, except for uh, Johnny Walker. He's probably the biggest uh, guy in the division. Um, and I've been saying 185 when I mean 205. Hopefully, everybody figure that out yeah these are light heavyweights but yeah give me a to win a decision that's not an absolute barn burner but just uh be able to keep jung at range with his uh long punches with his kicks and keep jung from getting inside and kind of mugging him yeah so let me ask you this question before i break down the fighters if we swap this fight with the co-man event would do you feel any different Oh my, dude, that that co-main event. Like, like couldn't the co-main event be the opener and this be the co-main event? Yeah, ab absolutely. <laughs> um, Easily. So, I, I'm gonna agree with something you said. I'm gonna disagree with some that you said too. So, obviously, the biggest light heavyweight. You you mentioned middleweight. <laughs> mentioned in two K fight at middleweight, but yeah, I, I mean he's he, he's humongous. He looks like a heavyweight, 82 inch reach. I'm gonna disagree though about him fighting at his opponent's pace. I actually think the opposite. Like I actually think he's a pressure fighter. I think he's a high volume, and I think actually kind of how he wins. You look at a guy and you think he'd win with, you know, power and these explosion and all this. I mean, because he, I mean, he's built like, uh, like a superhero, but he really wins by just marching forward and staying busy behind a jab. He he's a guy who's big, but he doesn't want to fight from the outside. He actually wants to fight from the inside. He wants to crash the pocket and use his like size managed in close grinding. He isn't a big power puncher though, though. You look at him that way, and and his frame would suggest that. But to his credit, recently he did knock out Carlos Ulberg, who's a who's a good striker himself. A lot of uh, he's still kind of learning on the job. He's young, as you mentioned, when he first was on the contender series, and he ha he has some mistakes. He pulls his head straight back. Uh, keeps his chin a little high. He does a pil pillaring defense coming in, so he's going to eat some shots coming in. But when he get when he gets going, he gets his opponent on the back foot. You see like front kicks, step in knees. His clinch game is strong, uh, just because he's physically powerful, pl plumbed, 
gets in that Muay Thai plum with knees and elbows. I'd say he's a serviceable wrestler. I wouldn't say he's a great wrestler, but when he's on top, he's got some scary top pressure, scary ground and pound, long, just uses those long arms to drop elbows and hammer fists. He's not a submission threat. Uh, and I would say his takedown defense is, is on the weaker side, but to his credit, he's really hard to hold down probably just because of his strength. Uh, but he's got really good cardio. Now move over to Jung. The, we should change his name. As the Koreans, we have a, a good name. We should change to like Southern New England Killer, as his, as the last two wins have been uh, Dustin, my boys, uh, Mike Rodriguez and, and William Knight. Uh, Jung, he, he's one of these guys that he doesn't, and I said this last time, I'm going to say it again, he doesn't jump out on paper when you watch him. Like there's nothing he does and you're like, wow, look at this. But all all together, like the little pieces, they just, they just come together and it's a pretty well-rounded fighter. Uh, his hand speed is is... I'd say above average. He throws clean, tight strikes down the pipe. Good power. We saw it, you know, we saw his power against Mike Rodriguez. He can knock you out. Decent takedowns. I mean, he out wrestled William Knight, who comes from a wrestling background. And then he has the cardio to go hard. And he's he's also one of these guys that he 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 can dig deep, like in a fight that's close. He's gonna find a way to win. So as far as prediction goes, this is a really tough fight to call right out right out of the gate. Jung is the more well-rounded fighter, and he's probably the more polished, finished product. However, I think Njuku has the higher ceiling, and if he can stuff some takedowns, and that's a big if against Jung. Jung has shown that he wants to wrestle, and he, especially against uh, a guy that's so strong, put him on their back, and that takes away a lot of their strength. He's gonna have to stop those. He's gonna have to, he's gonna have to deflect some shots. He's gonna have to avoid some shots that he normally doesn't, because Jung has plus power. However, he can do that. I think his output alone, as you said, Jung is a bit of a counter-striker and he'll sit back. Well, he, if he's sitting back and and, and Chuko is just out-valuing him, that could be the decision. Plus, one guy I feel is like showing more tools every time he comes out there. So I'm hoping he takes another jump forward. So uh, I'll take in Chukwe. I don't think he takes out Jung, so I'm going to say he gets it done by decision. There you go. Uh, two picks for what is, as of Wednesday night, the very, very slight underdog in Kennedy and Zichukwu to kick things off in Las Vegas. Next up at UFC Fight Night 197 are a couple of promising young lightweights looking to turn things around in Mark Jacquezi and Rafael Alves. Jacquezi, the 28-year-old Englishman, is 14-4 and overall. He is 5-4 and since joining the UFC as a former Bama standout. Fought most recently last July, where he dropped a unanimous decision to Rafael Fiziev at UFC Fight Night, Figueredo versus Benavidez, too. He's taking on Alves, the 31-year-old Brazilian uh, product of MMA Masters, is 19-10 and 10 overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC, uh, fought just back in May, dropping a unanimous decision to Demir Ismagulov. That was his uh, first appearance after winning a roster spot on Dana White's Contender Series last August. Odds on this one favor to Casey. He is minus 175 or so. Alva's around plus 155 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, uh, how do you see this fight going? Uh, who do you like and uh, and how? So, one thing I'll say about Rafael is... I don't know how far he's going to go in his MMA career, but he's always going to be stuck in my memory as one of the worst botched weight class in the history of the UFC in his debut when he was supposed to fight at 145 and he missed weight for 155. 
don't know if you remember that. I think he weighed yes. like 157 or something. <laughs> I think he missed weight by like 11 pounds or something. Um, so he, that always stick out. And then he won against Demir Ismagulov, and, and that is a really tough out in a UFC debut. So they kind of they kind of punished him for that. But don't miss out that this guy showed skills on the contender series to get into the UFC. Like, yeah, he missed weight and you know, he obviously is forced to go up to 155, but he's does got skills. I mean, he's very athletic. He has a couple of style. So you see some fun stuff, fast hands, fast kicks. He can fight from both stances, which kind of adds to his unpredictability. Um, he loves spinning attacks, but he's, he's a little Jekyll and Hyde. You really don't know what you can get with him, not just on predictability of what he's going to attack with, but what kind of fighter he's going to have. Because in some fights, very aggressive, wild man, coming in, darting in, into range, blitzing, throwing a bunch of shots. But then he has that Yoel Romero. Yeah, I did a flurry, and it was a 15-punch combination. Now I'm going to sit back and do nothing for the rest of the round. And we actually saw that in the debut against Ismagulov, where he just kind of sat back and just got picked apart. He he can he has been rocked a lot because he can be aggressive. You can pick up his timing, but he can rock too, and he hits hard. And even when he didn't have a lot of output, didn't have a lot of success against a guy like Ismagulov, he actually rocked him at, briefly in their fight. So like that's the kind of power he has. He's also he's well rounded. He's a decent wrestler. I wouldn't say he's a great wrestler. I'd say decent. He likes to get inside upper body locks, judo throws. He has a Brazilian black belt. He has a submission threat. He his his subs that he likes are head attacks. So that like what we would call in wrestling like the front headlock series. He's looking for guillotines, rare naked chokes, darces, Peruvian neckties. Um, but he's aggressive where he'll like he'll go he'll he'll put it in a submission and like roll for a gator roll and then end up on bottom because of that. But to his credit, he has some sweeps on the bottom. So he's he he's he's pretty good on the ground. Now move over to Mark Diacasey. I just said that like Alves is inconsistent in the cage, like what you're gonna get. That's kind of been Diacasey's UFC run. Like he's a guy that came with a lot of hype, had some poor performances, everyone gave up on, and then suddenly started putting in some good performances and people like him again. And then he fought Fiziev, and it's like, really don't know what he is. This is a guy that some people thought would be like a top 15 guy, and that's because he's very athletic, he's very fast, um, but he makes some mistakes. Like he tends to throw single strikes, even though he's got some really fast hands. He can fight out of both stances. I would say his he's pretty accurate. His straight right has some really good timing. I love that he's added going to the body. I would say his power is a little overrated, though. I would say he's, and I know I've been already second fight. I've been kind of overworking this, but I'd say his plus power. But the the broadcast team is going to make it sound like he's the 155 Francis Ngannou. Like if he touches you, he's going to put you out. That's just not the case. In fact, I actually think his best tool in the striking is his calf kicks. His calf kicks are phenomenal, and it's something that he needs to continue to uh, focus on. Uh, I also like his inside game, slicing elbows inside, stepping knees. And to his credit, he's pretty durable. Like Rafael Fiziev is possibly the best striker in the division, and Fiziev hit him with everything. And Mark DeCasey, like he was hurt, but he survived. Uh, as far as on the ground, not much of an offensive wrestler, but he's a like I, I would say he's a good sprawl and brawler. Like he's hard to take down, and if you do take him down, he has a pretty good get-up game. So, as far as prediction goes, I'm gonna go with Dia Casey, 
but not with much confidence. Uh, he's more technical. He's also beaten the better fighters than Alves has, so that makes me leaning him. But based on how both these guys have fought, and in, in, you really don't know who's going to be stepping out there. We're going to have the good Dia Casey. We're going to have the bad Dia Casey, and then vice versa. We're going to have the good Alves, bad Alves. I don't really know. So give me Dia Casey. I'll take it by decision. Yeah, I, I like your, your breakdown there. There are two guys that have tons of promise but are hard to really put a whole lot of faith in either one of them. So they're fairly close on the odds. You gave a pick where you're like, not a whole lot of confidence here. I'm feeling the same way. One thing I'll say for Alves is he is he is a great success story for MMA Masters. Like uh, MMA Masters is a, is a gym that's been laboring kind of underrated and uh, and in relative obscurity in florida like compared to like the superstar uh gyms in the state like you know att and uh the artist now known as uh sanford mma sanford. yeah yeah i mean they're getting more shine now because you know colby covington went there after leaving att but i remember rafael alves back in jungle fight he just wasn't good like he was a super physically gifted guy who just wasn't a very good fighter and he moved to florida started fighting in like Titan and training at MMA masters. And he really has turned around. Like he's still not the most consistent fighter in the world, as you pointed out, but he's worlds ahead of, of where he was. Like his record is like 19 and 10. Cause there was a time in his career when he was like a 500 fighter. And now he is at the very least, if, if he doesn't have that top 15 ceiling, he's still unquestionably like UFC quality. That that's just such a huge turnaround from the guy I saw, like lose to like Wagner Hocha, like five years ago or six years ago. Um, <laughs> Uh, I am also going to lean towards Jacasey, uh slightly here. Like I think he can match Alba's explosion and uh, and strength. I don't. I don't think he's going to get bullied around. I don't think he's going to get beaten to the punch. And while you're right that he doesn't have like one punch starch you knockout power. I think he's going to throw more volume than than Alves. I think he's not going to spend as much time kind of admiring his own work. So I think this goes to decision. Be probably a, you know, a pretty like some hard to score rounds in there, but uh give me Jacasey to take at least two out of three rounds in this one. So just to jump in real quick before we run, I I was looking over here, I was looking at MMA Masters. Is that the gym that Mike Perry was going to? I think he ended up uh, – that's not – That's not the one where he hung himself by accident, right? I don't know if that was MMA Masters, and I don't want to say it was if it wasn't. <laughs> I think – I yeah, I don't know. I, I, mean, I don't think they're there anymore, but I think and – and I, and I 100% apologize to MMA Masters if this is wrong. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure Mike Perry and, and Alex Nicholson were like the original – UFC guys coming out of MMA Masters. If that was somebody else, again, one hundred. Trust me, from bottom. Like, forgive us. I forgive apologize. Us. <laughs> Man, was there a less surprising news story in combat sports this year than Mike Perry signing with Bare Knuckle? No, 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 no. It's still funny because when we used to do, uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can say this, uh, but we used to do a show called um, uh, Between the Links. It's now an mm-hmm. MMA fighting show. Mike yeah. Heck was our host. When I used to do a show on uh, Loudmouth, which we would put it on Sure Dog. And, uh, you know, when Mike, per- Mike uh, Heck went over to MMA Fighting, he asked to take the show with him. And I'm such a nice guy. We, I said yes. But um, 
that was like the thing I predicted. Like if we somehow we were talking about Mike Perry. I'm like, ah, oh, five <laughs> years from now he's gonna be fighting bare knuckle boxing. And yeah. Nailed that one. Yeah. I got to talk to Heck and get back on there. I guessed it a couple of times. I I, I need to get my honor back. Yeah, uh, you were you were on uh, you were on when we were doing it, but you've been on when he was doing it with MA Fighting too. I don't think so. Like it's been at least two years since oh, okay. I've been on there. So yeah, yeah. He asked me one time. Listen, I'm gonna no, no, guys, cut this and send it to my Mike. He got me on there one. He asked me to come on one time since went over MMA fighting, and it was like on like an hour's notice. I couldn't do it. But tell Mike he's scared to put me on there because he knows I have won that show more than anybody in history, and none of those bums over there can beat me. <laughs> none, of those, none, of, none of those virgins and nerds, or whatever it's called, <laughs> none of those nerds and virgins can beat me. Alice K. Lee can't beat me. Send it to oh, Al. Man. He can't beat me. <laughs> we love both Mike and Alex, of course. We now move over to the women's flyweight division for a matchup between Courtney Casey and Liana Jojua, two women who, frankly speaking, could use a win this weekend very badly. Uh, Casey, the 34-year-old Arizonan, is an even 9-9 nine and nine overall. She's 5-8 and eight in the UFC. Uh, she fought most recently back in March, losing a split decision to J.J. Aldrich at uh, UFC Fight Night. Edwards versus Muhammad. Before that, she uh, got choked out in the third round by Gillian Robertson back at UFC on ESPN Blades versus Volkov last June. She'll be taking on Jojua. The 26-year-old Georgian is 8-4 and four overall. She's 1-2 and two in the UFC. Uh, fought most recently last October where she got uh, bloodied and mangled into a doctor stoppage between the first and second rounds by uh, Miranda Maverick. Before that, she defeated Deanna Belbitza by first round armbar, and prior to that, uh, was knocked out with uh, ground punches in the third round by Sarah Morris, and that was her UFC debut. Casey's a strong favorite here. She's minus 235, Jojo a plus 195 as the underdog. Keith, I'll come right out and say it. Like, neither of these women is probably UFC material. Uh, like, just like they're both under 500 in, in the UFC is the, the simplest way to put it. And it's not as though either of them has beaten absolute world beaters. And especially in the case of Courtney Casey moving up to uh, flyweight, because she was underpowered as a strawweight. That was, that was her problem even as a strawweight. She was kind of fairly long and lanky for the division, but she got absolutely bullied in the clinch and on the ground by Michelle Watterson, probably the tiniest woman in the division. And so for her to, to move up, uh, well, I, it's no, there's no question why Jillian Robertson completely ran uh, game on her on the floor. You know, it, unless you're 10 times stronger than Jillian Robertson, she's a very, very good grappler. And Casey's not. Um, Jojua kind of has the same problem. Just she has a good overall skill set. She's a good grappler. Uh I think she's a fairly sound striker in what I've seen uh, from her, but just doesn't have the athleticism to make it go. She just seems slow of hand, slow of foot, not physically strong when she and UFC level flyweights get their hands on each other. So at least their weaknesses kind of line up with one another, but I'm having a tough time understanding Casey as an over two to one favorite here over Jojua. Like I, just I, to, to paraphrase you, the, if if I gave this to, to you first, you would be like, 
I don't think Courtney Casey should be an over to two to one favorite over anybody in the UFC right now. That's exactly how I feel about this one. <laughs> if someone's uh, taken a, a wrestling class ever, Courtney Casey should be a two to one favorite against them. That's and that's pretty much it. And I can see Jojua, even though she's not a great wrestler like she's a good grappler once things are on the ground but she doesn't have good entries she's slow she i mean she doesn't have the kind of explosion and core strength to make the terrible headlock throw work yeah probably probably even on courtney casey uh, I, uh, my question was you said all these things about she doesn't have good entries she's slow this i'm like what did that have to do with taking down courtney casey though <laughs> uh, like i'm I know I'm kind of going out on, on a limb here, but I see Jojua taking this. Like, I think she actually will be able to get Courtney Casey to, to the yeah. ground. I think I think she'll be able to make the headlock throw work. Uh, I, <laughs> I love it. Like, if, if Courtney Casey wants to win this fight, for then for at least two out of three rounds, she's going to need to keep uh, Jojua, like, either at a distance and, and kind of just pepper her with... Uh, strikes at range which she's capable of doing but again has never really made work against a good ufc fighter or i mean she would have to initiate takedowns and end up on the ground on her terms against jojua and i don't have any faith that that'll happen either so i expected this to be like close to a pick em. i expected casey maybe to be a very slight uh favorite just because she's been fighting better fighters for longer but at almost plus 200 on, on Jojua, give give me Liana Jojua all day. Like, I wouldn't put money on this just because I have no faith in this fight. And if I put money on it, I'd have to sit and watch it instead of, like, you know, <laughs> go make some food. But yeah. <laughs> uh, give me uh, Liana Jojua uh, by unanimous decision in a pretty big upset. Wow. Yeah. No, uh, I get that. Like, the lines are so far off. So you mentioned Courtney Casey being out-muscled at strawweight, which is true. But then when she moved up to flyweight, she's still, like, looking at her. She's still actually one of the bigger ones. And she actually had to – I remember – I think it was her flyweight debut. She originally missed weight and had to, like, do the second weigh-in, like, an hour later. And she had to, get like, take her clothes off and then made the weight, which was kind of funny. I'm like, wow, this girl's moving up in weight, and she almost missed. So Courtney Casey, she's a striker. She's a volume striker. She throws a lot of combos. She wins fights with just being busier. Um, and when I say wins fights, I mean every other fight she wins with just being busier. She sits on her punches, and I would say she draws some power. Like and I, I agree with you. She gets overpowered in the clinch, but I don't. I don't think she's like a a soft striker. Like I think she's got okay power for a you know former strawweight now flyweight fighter. Uh, but she attacks with combos, which is good. Good kicks from range because of her like height advantage. But as we talked about, everything you say about Courtney Casey comes down to she's a terrible wrestler. She's one of that has one of the worst takedown defenses in the entire UFC. But worse than having a bad takedown defense is she has no like scramble up game. She plays BJJ. She got a submission against Mara Romero Barella off her back, which was good. But I think it was. Like a what do they say? You like you got the victory first, but you like you you won the battle but lost the war because of it. Because mm-hmm. now she plays, she thinks she's Mackenzie Dern and she's tacking with subs off her back when she really needs to be, you know, wall walking back up and stuff. So 
sometimes it's weird. I've said this before. Like sometimes if someone's BJJ was worse, they'd be a better fighter because then they'd have more urgency to get up instead of playing BJJ and trying to get yeah. a submission. Like, like how bad would it be if like Derek Lewis just like laid on his back and started throwing up triangles? That's right. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know what Derek <laughs> Lewis's jujitsu level is, but if Derek Lewis was a brown belt in jujitsu, he'd probably be a worse fighter. Yeah. But instead, he's like, oh, I'm down. I've got to bench press you off and get back up as soon as possible. That's right. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And and yeah, Courtney Casey needs to do the same thing. Like, play the the floor is lava game. Now, move over to Joshua. The one thing I like about her, she's only 26 years old. So I like that. Um, But it's hard to have any confidence in her because she's not a great athlete. Like, Courtney Casey is a better athlete than Joshua. She's also so extremely one-dimensional like she's very limited on her feet her 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 stand-up is ugly she's kind of stiff she's i would say she's a like bjj specialist so i don't want to say she's a grappler because you mentioned her wrestling's not good uh she actually has weak takedown defense and stuff and i like that you pointed out that courtney casey could initiate some wrestling herself and i think courtney casey could actually win the right like it's courtney casey is a terrible defensive wrestler but she actually might be the better offensive wrestler of the two but Joshua also fights off her back. She's very flexible. She loves on bars, and she can get on bars. And if someone got a submission off the back, I'd actually would bet on Joshua than Courtney Casey. Another thing I do like about her is that she's a fo- former Fight Nights Global Champion, so she can go uh, deep into fights. As far as prediction, I have zero confidence. Like I was, I was gonna rant about the odds being so far off. I think it's very possible Joshua just takes Casey down and rides her out for 15 minutes. I also think it's very possible that Casey just kind of. Stays on a bike, does an out kickboxing match, throws throws into the air, Caitlin Chikagian style, and wins by decision. I'm gonna go with Courtney Casey because one, you didn't take her, and uh, to make it a little more exciting, but I, I I have no reason why. I have no idea why I'm taking her. I'm just gonna take Courtney Casey. There you go. Two. Dissenting picks with all kinds of confidence in the uh, second fight out the door at UFC Vegas 42. Next up, it is the featherweights. Knock on wood, cross your fingers, as Sean Woodson takes on Colin Anglin. Woodson, the uh, 29-year-old Glory MMA and Fitness product, is 8-1 and one overall. He is 2-1 and one since joining the UFC out of Season 3 of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, during that time, he has beaten Kyle Botchniak and Yusuf Zalal while uh, losing via third-round submission to Julian Arosa in a planned 150-pound catchweight fight. Uh, his most recent fight, the win over Zalal, was uh, back in June at UFC Fight Night, Rosenstrike versus Sakai. He'll be taking on Anglin. The 28-year-old Michigan native is 8-2 in his mixed martial arts career. He is 0-1 since joining the UFC out of the 2020 season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he had the ill fortune of facing Melsic Bagdasarian in his UFC debut back in July. Uh, got head kicked in the second round, finished off with a couple of ground strikes. In hindsight, it looks like Bagdasarian might do that to some people before it's all said and done. But nonetheless, Anglin is still looking for his first win in the octagon. Odds on this one do not favor him to do so this weekend, as uh, Woodson is minus 325 right now as the favorite, Anglin around plus 260 or plus 265 as the substantial underdog. Uh, Keith, 
Does that line sound right to you? How do you see this fight going? Do you see Sean Woodson making weight? Yeah, yeah. That, that should always be a win right there, Sean Woodson making weight, because he's insanely big for featherweight. He's He's got to be the biggest featherweight I've ever seen. He's like, I I, I met him in Boston when, uh, I can't remember who he fought that day, but it was the Dominic Reyes knocking out Chris Weidman card. He, he fought on it, and he was like a foot taller than me. I was like, holy crap, dude, how do you make featherweight? It's insane. Uh, as far as this fight, you asked me if the odds are right. I think the odds are crazy. I think that, like, Sean Woodson, until he showed that he, he's not going to gas out late and he's got – and he fixes that ground game. I, I don't think his takedown defense is terrible, but I think his when he gets down, he's in big trouble. Until he's shown that that's behind him, he shouldn't be a three going on four to one favorite against anybody. He's a great boxer, Sean Woodson, like really good. He uses his length well. He just touches. I love that he just kind of snaps things out there. He's very accurate. He's got really good at picking up his opponent's timing. Nice jab. You stop moving in on him. He kind of changes up the long range strikes to the short range uppercuts. He like looks to try to time an uppercut coming in. Uh, he's got big power. I shouldn't say big power. Um, I don't want to say plus again, but uh, above average power. He's got. If he, all right, he's. He could put you out with one shot. One clean shot, he could put you out. He's not Francis Ngannou, which he could put you out with a grazing shot. But he's accurate enough that he can generate power because of how accurate he is. He doesn't like pressure, though. And one way he actually – he doesn't like to fight off his back foot, but he doesn't want to be backing up. So one thing he does, he has that Tyron Woodley game going and the Anderson Silver. We actually likes being towards the fence where he kind of understands his distance going back. He also, I think, he uses it to help him – you know, stop takedowns, which I actually think it's backfires because you can't sprawl out. But uh, he likes to fight with his back against the cage. Weak takedown defense. He also was submitted easily on the ground in his loss to Julian Rosa, which which I don't like. But I'm going to say that was a little bit of him gassing out, which is always going to be the problem. He's a guy, when you see him at featherweight, you're like, dude, you just move up. Like, you'll be better at lightweight. Like, but he lose one inch of reach if you move up to lightweight. I mean, he could fight a welterweight. I think he'd actually do pretty well. He's he's six foot two and has a big wingspan, even for a six foot two guy. Like, yeah. I I think he'd look perfectly normal right next to like Stephen Thompson or Vicente Luque. Okay, so if he's six foot two, he's not a foot tall. I mean, just for those, just for the, <laughs> just, just I'm not freaking Danny DeVito. <laughs> not the tallest guy, but uh, that, that, that's why I, his favorite fighter is Mighty Mouse, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the one guy taller than me and me and uh, Henry Sudo. I die. No, I am taller than Henry Sudo. But uh, Colin Anglin, Anglin's a guy that I liked coming off the Contender Series simply because, and I, I'm going to butcher his his name, but he beat uh, Mohammedan Namov, mm -hmm. who when I was doing tape study on him, I really liked him coming into the to the Contender Series. So that just added to me liking Colin. He got a raw deal in his next fight going against uh, Melsic Bagdasarian, who we saw, you know, he's a great striker. And then he's kind of got, like, I don't know if they really hate him, like three killers in a row putting him against Sean Woodson. Like, I don't know if Colin Anglin did something to the UFC, uh, but he, not not the best treatment. But he's an elusive. Uh, he's well-rounded. He, I think he's got good footwork. I think his boxing's tight. Uh, he really sits on his punches, so he kind of generates power. Whips his punches, so he... Um, like, I don't explain. He, like, he puts everything into his shots. I like his left hook. He can be wild, though. And he has some holes defensively. He pulls his head straight back to avoid shots. 
Um, he also backs straight up when he does. He doesn't like cut angles, which which is a problem considering he kind of throws from his hips. So he kind of gives an avenue for attack by throwing nothing in front of him. But uh, offensively, hard kicks to the body. Uh, I've seen him actually finish a, an opponent on the regional scene with a body kick. Um, a sneaky high kick. I love that he fakes shots. He fakes his wrestling to open up his hands. But then he'll, like, next thing, he'll actually start. He isn't an elite wrestler by any means, but he's he's a pretty good wrestler. He's got a good takedown defense, good sprawl and brawl game. Uh, one thing I don't like about him, though, is when I study him for the contender series, I've seen him fade in, into fights. So usually having cardio advantage is a thing that you use against Sean Woodson. I don't know if that's the case with Colin Anglin. So as far as prediction goes, I like both guys. I like Colin Anglin. Um. I think he can smother Woodson and get some takedowns, and that's the avenue for victory. However, as long as it stays at distance, Woodson can really crack. I want to say Woodson, just because of the physical tools, it's hard. It's just hard to look at a guy like Woodson and pick against him. But three to one favorite, no way. Like He should be like a negative 130 favorite. So I think he lands a good enough big shots uh, to hurt Anglin. So give me give me Woodson. I'm gonna say you know I'm gonna say find stoppage. So give me Woodson by second round TKO. Yeah, uh, you, you you beat me to it. Uh, I like Anglin a, as well. Uh, poor guy. I mean he's had to take on Melsic Bagdasarian and now Sean Woodson in his two uh, first two UFC fights. Both are excellent strikers, but beyond that, could not be much more different. Woodson is a very tall, rangy boxer who fights tall and rangy, whereas Bagdasarian is like this compact muscle, uh, like kickboxer who throws a lot of kicks and like fights almost even shorter than he is because he like he has such a compact stance and like uh, throws everything hard, hard, hard. In their fight, it, it was a pretty wild back and forth first round until just Bagdasarian's power started to tell. Like they were both landing about equally for the first couple minutes, but. Bagdasarian hurt Anglin and then hurt him again and then punched him in the back of the head like three times. But uh, and and by the by the second round, like Anglin was was already in a lot of trouble. I'm with you that if Anglin wanted to like really sell out to bring this thing to the ground, I think he could get Woodson down. Woodson's takedown defense is is not great, obviously. But I don't know if he will. And I'm with you. Like, I think Woodson's going to be able to keep this fight at his preferred distance for as long as it's on his on the feet. And that stinging power of his will start to rack up, kind of like Bagdasarian did. Like, Bagdasarian didn't just wash Anglin with one punch. Just every time he landed a combination, you could tell it hurt. And Anglin started to slow down, started to react, and started rolling downhill from there. I'm, I'm with you. Give me Sean Woodson to win this one by second-round TKO. We head back to the women's flyweight division for a matchup between Cynthia Calvillo and Andrea Lee. Calvillo, the 34-year-old, is 9-3-1 overall. She is 6-3-1 in the UFC. Uh, she is 1-2, however, since moving up from strawweight to flyweight. She is on a two-fight losing streak. However, those two have come against Caitlin Chukagian and Jessica Andrade, both of whom were top 10, if not top five fighters at the time. Uh, the most recent of those, the Andrade fight, was back at UFC 266 in September. She'll be taking on Lee, the 32-year-old Louisianan by way of Texas, is 12-5 and five overall. She's 4-3 and three in the UFC, 
she won her most recent outing, uh, tapping out Antonina Shevchenko with a triangle armbar in the second round at UFC 262 in May. That allowed Lee to bounce back from a three-fight losing streak. Uh, though, again, same as with Calvillo, uh, those came to top fighters in Joanne Calderwood, Lauren Murphy, and Roxanne Mataferi. And the the decision lost to Murphy was a controversial one for what it's worth. Uh, however, uh, they both come into this, uh, this one, again, two fighters probably in need of a win here. Calvillo is just the slightest of favorites. She is minus 120. Lee is available at even money, plus 100. Uh, Keith, who do you like in this one? It's it's funny you were talking about Andrea Lee submitting Antoinina Shevchenko, and I was just thinking about but when there was like the narrative when Antoinina came into the UFC that, hey, fight her, beat her, and that'll get you a title shot. Like, that'll get you the... We'll, we'll build up Valentina coming for her revenge. I'm like, good thing the UFC never been like combined into that because there'd be a, a long line of contenders right now for Valentina Shevchenko's title. Uh, so Andrea Lee. So let's talk about Andrea Lee. So she's she's a distant striker on the feet. Uh, she kind of wins with volume, just straight punches down the pipe. Kind of a point fighter, not not a, a lot of power. Um, she's surprisingly like a plotter, which which when you look at her physique, you'd think she'd be someone with like good footwork, but she's not. Uh, but she's got a lot of kicks in her game. She uses her length well with that. Uh, good tacks the legs with her kicks. And she wrestles a lot more than you think. She's, I mean, we, you talked about her getting a submission in their last fight. She's not a great wrestler, but she's just one of these ones she just will win a scramble. Um, she can kind of be a little wild in the scrambles, though. She can lose the scrambles, but most likely that's how she gets it down. She's not going to just pile through your hips and take you down. Weak defensive wrestler, though. And if you put her on her back, she really struggles to get up from the bottom. Now move over to Cynthia Calvia. She's a girl that came in to the UFC considered a one-dimensional fighter for the most part, kind of just a grappling wizard. But she, I think her striking has come along. It's not where she wants it to be, but I think it's coming along uh, quite a bit lately. Uh, can fight out of both stances. She's throws tight punches down the pipe. Uh, she does well to keep her head bouncing off the center line. She's added some kicks to her game, but she lacks power, and I don't have like a lot of confidence where I, I think she'd win mostly a stand-up battle against most fighters in the UFC, but she, she can hold her own enough and kind of get respect enough to open up her takedowns where I actually think her takedowns are similar to Lee, where she's not a great wrestler though. She does chain takedowns together, but again, hers is just start a scramble and I'm confident enough. Like when we're done, I'm going to end up on top. She's got some really, really slick back takes and well, obviously she's a submission threat. I like her ground and pound more. She has a mean streak in her. Like, and, and that's what you need with ground and pound. Like ground and pound comes where, especially in a scramble game, where instead of trying to looking for a submission, you're looking to create space to rain down some blows. And I actually think that's something Cynthia Calvillo does well. So as her prediction goes, I'm going to go with Calvillo just because I think she's the better wrestler. I think she can get some takedowns, and I think she can just outwork her on top, and that's another thing that, uh, especially on the ground, I think she can do well. So give me Calvillo, and I'll take it by decision. 
I came really close to going the other way on this one based on Lee's most recent fight against Antonina Shevchenko because the the dynamic that you are uh, mentioning here where Calvillo was probably the, the better wrestler of the two, I had to remind myself that what Lee did against Shevchenko, and you know I got to watch that from press row about 15 feet away, she was doing it against one of the worst wrestlers and grapplers in the division. Like, I, I can't take her steamrolling Antonina Shevchenko on the ground to mean that she's, like, fixed all of these things. So, yeah, I, I it's probably be a, a really close fight because I think Lee will probably get somewhat the better of it for as long as they're on the feet. She'll kick Calvillo's legs, kick her body, keep her at range. Uh, Lee is physically strong in the clinch, so if Calvillo tries to go there for takedowns, I don't think it's going to be good sledding for her. I mean, she's definitely a converted straw weight, you know, just in terms of her physical stature. But uh, if Calvillo can get in on Lee's hips, get single legs, for, force scrambles, I do think she'll be able to get her down. I do think she'll get the best of it there. And yeah, I'm I'm with you. Not a whole lot of confidence, but I am going to pick that to happen. Give me Cynthia Calvillo by decision. Next up on the UFC Fight Night 197 prelims is a lightweight matchup that I will just come right out and say it, Keith. I am super excited for this fight. Uh, like, I, I really like both these guys. It is a guy who's been kind of fast-tracked his own way into contention versus one of the more intriguing prospects in the division. It is Tiago Moises versus Joel Alvarez. Moises, the 26-year-old Brazilian, is 15-5 and five overall. He is 4-3 and three since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil, but four and three may not sound that impressive until you understand that the only losses have been to Benil Dariush, Demir Ismagulov, and Islam Makachev. So two top five guys and a guy in Ismagulov that when he doesn't weigh, you know, 210 pounds is himself one of the uh, most intriguing, nobody wants to fight up and comers in the division. And his wins include Michael Johnson, Bobby Green, Alexander Hernandez, all tough outs. So without any smoke or mirrors, he's just sort of vaulted himself into the edge of the top 10 uh, really quickly in a division where it's generally hard to do that. Uh, he'll be taking on Alvarez. The 28-year-old Spaniard is 18-2 and two overall. He is 3-1 and one since joining the UFC uh, just a little over three years ago. He dropped his... Uh, UFC debut, also to Ismagulov. Kind of a running theme here that Ismagulov has wrecked a lot of these people's days on this card. Uh, but he's come back since then with consecutive finishes over Danilo Belwardo, Joseph Duffy, whom he choked into retirement uh, last summer, and uh, most recently, last October, Alexander Yakovlev, whom he tapped out with a first-round armbar at UFC 254. Uh, Moises is a strong favorite here. He's minus 250. You can get Alvarez around plus 210 on the comeback. Keith, uh, tell me what you like about these fighters, what you like about this fight, and who you think is going to win. Yeah, that's definitely a fun fight. Um, Moises, obviously, we last saw him. He was headlining UFC, so I feel like we've done a little bit more team study on him than most guys at this point in a you know prelim card. Moises, you know, he's known for jiu but... His striking has come a long way. I think his striking is you know, tight boxing. He has some pretty fast hands. One negative is he can be a little low output as he looks for single strikes. But he's got some pop in those hands. So he can hurt you. 
good kicks, kicks everywhere, really. Uh, kicks to the body of stick, one up high, leg kicks. He's <clears throat> sorry. He's good at setting up his takedowns with his strikes. Kind of going back to the last fight, we talked about Calvillo, where Calvillo just needed to have something on the feet to set up those takedowns. Same thing, Moises. Like Moises' grappling has will improve just from adding the the extra threat of the striking. As long as, and this kind of happens with people who have a grappling background, suddenly they fall in love with his hands. As long as you don't fall in love with his hands, you know that the striking is the setup to your brother, brother, your grappling. He's got decent entries, not a not a great wrestler, kind of a guy that'll just shoot on your hips. Again, we'll look for a scramble. He'll actually just shoot and pull guard. He, he's happy to be on bottom where he's got slick submissions. He's got, I think, six career submissions. Uh, if he's on top, though, he's he's almost two confidence submissions. Like, I go back to that. Uh, well, yeah, he'll, like, jump to things. Like he'll jump to an on bar that might not be there, but he's a serious threat if you give him an open. And then you go back to that Michael Johnson fight, Michael, and I know this is a while ago, and he, he's a much different fighter now. But when Michael Johnson was beating him, all he needed was one opening, and he jumped on an ankle and submitted him. And then a lot of people wasn't happy with the decision over Bobby Green. I think it was fair. It was a very close fight. But he also caught Bobby Green in a like an ankle leg lock. I can't remember what it was, but something on the ankles. Now move over to Joel Alvarez. He's long and lengthy. Uh, he has a lot of defensive holes on the feet, stands up tall, makes the mistake of backing straight up. He drops his hands. But his kicking game is good, like hard kicks. Um, I'm not going to say, you know, Yair Rodriguez level. You don't have the athleticism, but like how Yair, most of his game is off his kick. That's how Alvarez's game is. Um, but he is also a real good submission threat. He loves his head, head and arm triangles. He loves head attacks. To give him the opportunity, I mean, to go back to like he submitted Joe Duffy, he submitted what was his last opponent? He submitted him quick. Uh, Yakovlev, oh, yeah, yeah, Yakovlev, he submitted him. So he's a, he's really is a submission threat. So as far as prediction goes, I'm gonna go with Moises. I'm not counting the loss to Makhachev too heavily against him. I mean, like what Makhachev does, he just ran through Dan Hooker, he ran through everybody. I would say this is still a step. Obviously, this is a step down for Moises going from Makachev to to Joel uh, Alvarez. And on the flip side, Alvarez is the step up. So I don't know where Alvarez is better than Moises. Like, is he a better striker? No. Is he a better grappler? He might be a better like submissions right, but I don't think he could win a straight grappling match. So overall, I just like Moises everywhere. So give me Moises. I don't think he submits. He, he has, I think he has a better chance of knocking him out, but I don't think he submits him. So I'll say he wins a lot of fun grappling exchanges. I know that's, I'm assuming that's what you want. And I think he wins a unanimous decision. Yeah, I, I like this fight a lot. Like I said off the top, I, I thought it was a really sensible step back from Moises, and it was the perfect opportunity to give someone like Alvarez a shot at a name, you know, uh, in a fight that made sense for both guys. It's kind of... Like, it's surprising to me that Alvarez is 28 and Moises is only 26 because Moises, you know, like, there's a certain poise about him that makes him just seem like a more experienced or, like, older fighter. Whereas Alvarez still, there's just something about him that screams, I'm 23 years old to me, even though he's 28. Uh, he has, if you look at his record, he has a ton of submissions. He has a ton of first-round submissions. And he's one of those guys that has gotten away with some habits 
on the regional scene, in his case, the regional scene in Western Europe, that just aren't going to serve him well against UFC-level guys. But I think he has plenty of time to change those and overcome it. Like, what it makes me think of is a like a, a lightweight Miguel Torres, where Miguel Torres won like 35 fights in a row just because he was so much better than everybody that he didn't care about position. He didn't care about being taken down. He just, he knew he could fight an entire fight off his back and he'd find something. And that's been Alvarez. Like you mentioned how good his kicks are. They are the kicks of a man who is not afraid of being taken down. Like that's what allows him to uncork those, uh, you know, in, in any ranges, kick as hard as he wants. Cause what he's learned all along is that, well, yeah, if you catch my kick and take me down, I'm just going to triangle you or sweep you and, uh, and get a front headlock and uh, throw an anaconda choke on you. Tiago Moises is not a guy for him to try those avenues to victory. Like, like you said, Moises is at least his equal as a pure grappler, probably physically stronger, even though Alvarez will be the bigger guy in uh, the cage. Uh, and then the advantages on the feet, I think, do go to Moises. So give me Tiago Moises by decision. But I think this is going to be a really exciting fight, and hopefully we get some uh, really interesting ground sequences. The five-fight main card of UFC Fight Night 197 opens up with a welterweight banger in the making between Miguel Baeza and Kalen Chaos Williams. Baeza, the 29-year-old Floridian, also a product of MMA Masters, is 10-1 and in his mixed martial arts career, he is 3-1 since joining the UFC out of the 2019 season of Dana White's Contender Series. He opened up his UFC run with three straight wins over Hector Aldana, Matt Brown, and Takashi Sato, all three of those finishes, before running into Santiago Ponzinibbio this past June at UFC Fight Night Rosenstrike versus Sakai. There he lost via unanimous decision in uh, what is still uh, in the running for second best fight of 2021. Uh, as that was an absolute uh, banger of a fight. He'll be taking on Kalen Williams. The 27-year-old Michigan native is 12-2 and two overall. He also is 3-1 and one in the UFC. He opened up his UFC run last year by attempting to entirely depopulate Fortis MMA in about two minutes of combined cage time, knocking out uh, Alex Morono and Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. That before he ran into Michelle Pereira uh, this past December, lost a unanimous decision, but bounced back from that with a unanimous decision win over Matthew Semmelsberger this past June at UFC on ESPN, Korean Zombie versus Ige. Odds on this one are close. Baeza is the slight favorite. He's minus 135, Williams plus 115. Uh, Keith, this should be a fun fight. Uh, how do you see it playing out and who you got? Yeah, so it's a hard to pick who's going to win, but I think we can kind of agree on we're going to have fun moments, and then both guys are going to probably have some success. So Baez is a guy that he's grown on me. Like, he was not a guy that was jumping off the page for me on the Contender Series. Like, he's a guy that I'm like, oh, he's a good addition. Uh, I viewed him more a little lower on the card than he is. And, like, so the UFC had this big push for him ahead, and I was like, oh, that's way too much. And he kind of slid down, but I – think he slid down higher steps up in the UFC rankings than I thought he was going to be. So, so I'm pleased that I was, I think I was slightly wrong about him. I think, I think I was more right than the UFC was, but uh, overall uh, he's well-rounded. He's a good athlete. That's the thing that stands out to me. Lots of movement, good boxing. Uh, he's really added this nice crisp jab. We saw that in his last fight, accurate straight, right? He's got decent power. He can throw kicks everywhere. He's added in these calf kicks that is really damaging his opponents, zapping their power. 
So the offensive tools are all there. The problem is on the feet is his defensive tools. He throws defense right out the window. He's very hittable. He stands up tall. He lacks head movement. He doesn't like, and this is when Ponzinibbio had success against him, he doesn't like when the pressure turned up against him. He wants to lead the dance. Uh, he can wrestle, decent entries, good ground and pound, not a huge submission threat. I think he only has one sub win on his record. Um, my biggest issue with him, though, is inconsistent. Like one fight, he looks like a world beater. The next fight, he's almost getting knocked out, or he does get knocked out. So, and again, like I'm giving him a pass on his last fight. Last fight was Santiago Ponzinibbio, one of the best guys in the division. So I, I understand that we're grading on a curve with him right now. Now, move on to Chaos William. Uh, he's a guy who, he's been a little bit gun-shy lately. Like, he, the Summersberger fight, well, I shouldn't say gun-shy. He played a safe against Summersberger. I think he could tor- he could turn it up a little bit. He might have put him out. But when he's when he is turned up, he presses hard. He's got some big, big power. Uh, hard calf kicks. Uh, he makes a mistake of throwing him naked so he could get knocked out. Uh, and Baez is the guy that could do that to him. He does drop his hands a little bit. He also keeps his chin high. But to his credit, he's got a good chin. He's been hit with some shots. Hasn't been hurt. And I like that his boxing is tight. Not, nothing wind wind up. Uh, not a lot of tells, which is the best way to generate power. He's a good wrestler too. Uh, not not a not elite wrestler. He's you know he's not a Josh Koscheck like that. But he gets you down, win the rounds. So we could see some fun scrambles between these two. So it's. As far as prediction go, this this is a really really hard fight to pick. I don't know what to think of Baeza yet. Uh, he had an absolute war against Ponzinibbio in a fight that he was winning early, which is an extremely impressive thing. But he also took a lot of damage in that fight, and he's taken a lot of damage for a guy who, in a, a short run in the UFC so far. Now Williams, on the other hand, he. He needs, I actually think he needs to have a chaotic, he needs chaos in there. He needs Baeza to kind of throw him down. Because Baeza, if he just works on the outside, I think he's probably still a little more technical, a little faster than chaos. I just don't trust Baeza's chin. And even though Ponzinibbio is a really good kickboxer, he's got good snap, I actually think Williams might be even harder, pure puncher than Ponzinibbio. So... I'm going to go with a slight upset. I'm going to say Chaos Williams knocks him out. I'm going to say he does it in the second round. Yeah, I, I like this uh, fight a lot for the same reasons uh, you mentioned. I do agree that Williams seems to have dialed back his uh, approach just a little bit. Like uh, The most obvious example would be starting with the Michelle Pereira fight where everybody assumed that was just going to be the wildest thing ever, the crazy Capoeira guy versus the guy who knocked out two pretty good welterweights in under a minute of total cage time. And instead it turned into a good kickboxing match, but nothing wild. And the Semmelsberger fight turned out very much the same way. Only he won that one. I'm, I yeah. understand. And I share your concerns about Baeza. He gets hit a lot, win or lose. Like, you know, he knocked out Matt Brown, but in the early going Brown was giving him as good as he got. And that was the molasses, slow 40 yeah. year old last legs of Matt Brown. Uh, that's that's the fight I forgot. There was one that I was trying to think of where he was hurt bad. That's the one. Mm-hmm. A fight that he should have like blown him out. Yeah, yeah. should have blown him out. Uh, Takashi Sato, like obviously Takashi Sato is a knockout artist. And that but, was like uh, his best showing. Yeah. What? Yeah. And, Go and, figure. Go figure. And, 
and he took some artillery from from Sato, even though he was by far the faster guy. But then what I found heartening about that was he shot for an unexpected takedown, landed it beautifully, took his, uh, you know, I think he took his back and then ended up moving him out, but but choked him out in short order, just completely ran game on him on the ground. If he is willing to do that at the right moments in this fight, I think he has a good avenue to victory against Caleb Williams. Uh, I yeah, like the the speed and fluidity with which he changed levels on Sato and and took him down. Like that's never really gotten out of my head, even after the the Ponzinibbio fight. Because of that, I'm going to trust that Baeza, you know, at a you know at, at a good camp. They they must know that that is something that he's going to have in his back pocket against Williams. Give me Baeza to win. I'm going to say, I'm going to say he gets it uh, gets a finish. I'm going to say you know third round finish where after you know a, a back and forth kickboxing match he does the thing he did to Sato. He changes levels, takes Williams down, and finishes him on the ground. Uh, give me TKO ground and pound third round. Next up at UFC Vegas 42 is a bantamweight matchup between Yudong Song and Julio Arce. Song, the 23-year-old Chinese native, is 17-5-1 with one no contest overall. He is 6-1-1 in the UFC. Fought most recently back in August at UFC 265, where he took a split decision over Casey Kenny. That allowed him to bounce back from his first loss in the UFC, which was a unanimous decision against Kyler Phillips back in March. He's taking on Arce, the 32-year-old New York native, export of Team Tiger Shulman, is 17-4 overall. He is 4-2 in the UFC. He is 1-0 in the UFC since coming back from a a year-and-a-half hiatus and dropping from featherweight to bantamweight. Uh, He made his bantamweight debut in July at UFC on ESPN, Sandhagen versus Dillashaw, where he knocked out Andre Ewell in the second round. Odds, close on this one. Song is the slight favorite. He's minus 135 or so. Arce, plus 110 or plus 115 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, you were telling me uh, off uh, off air before we started this segment that you're super excited for this fight. I don't see how somebody couldn't be. Tell me how you see it playing out and who you favor to win. Yeah, what I just love about this fight is just a really technically sound matchup. Like two really good technically sound strikers. Song Yudong is a guy that he just looked so good in his last fight against Casey Kenny. I mean, he's looked good in pretty much every fight in the UFC. Uh, he's well-rounded, technically sound. He's a composed striker, high output, good boxing. I think he's got accurate hands. I like that he attacks with combos, straight shots down the pipe, good at keeping his opponent at the end of their punches. Not a lot of tell signs, so everything's kind of short and quick. Uh, works behind a popping jab, real good snap in his shots, good power. He's added calf kicks, which is every fighter should be adding. The only negative I could find right now, especially in his boxing, is he tends to be a little bit of a headhunter. I'd like to see him go to the body a little bit more, which would actually add to his power because it set up his power shots even more. Uh, but he's a good grappler. He's got three wins by submission. We've seen him win rounds with getting in takedowns. Uh, he was taken down by Marlon Vera twice, which which is uh, not good. But Marlon Vera is obviously a very good. I mean, he's a ranked fighter by us in Sherdog, uh, but he's hard to hold down. A good get of game. Vera couldn't keep him down. He also has good cardio. Like he had a war against Vera, and he didn't slow down one bit. 
and he looks like I mentioned, he looked really good against Casey Kenny in his last fight. Speaking of look good, Julio Arce looked good in his debut at Bantamweight. Uh, he went against a good guy against Andreol and, and starched him. Uh, he's well-rounded, southpaw, sets up his strikes with a lot of feints, which you know gives him a lot of openings. He also works behind a nice crisp jab. He's got that clean straight right. He's a guy that does go to the body, which is kind of a his team's trademark. Tiger Shulman, that's something they stress. I mean, Shane Burgos, we saw a week ago going down to the body. RC wasn't known for his power, but then we saw power against Andreola, which means like him oh, yeah. dropping down, he's carried like featherweight power down to bantamweight, which is which I like. A lot of kicks, calf kicks, sneaky high kick. Um, one negative though is he doesn't really check kicks. I mean, I go back to the Hakim Duado, and I know it was a while ago, but Hakim Duado did have success with leg kicks against him. But he's not just one dimensional. He can sneak in some takedown. He doesn't want to grapple, but he can. Uh, he does need to improve his top control, but he has five submissions on his record, which you like. So as far as prediction goes, this fight is so good. I like both of these guys a lot. I expect this to be a war. I expect both guys landing clean shots. If either guy won by Naka, would not surprise me one bit. But I'm going to go with Song in this back-and-forth battle. This guy's 23. Like He seems like a guy that should be 28, 29, 30 because – he seems like a guy who's a good, you know, contender or a top 15 guy. He's only 23. Like, we haven't seen his prime years yet. So, give me Song. I'm going to take him by decision in an absolute war. Yeah, I mean, first thing I'll say right out the gate is there is a good chance that Song is actually older than 23 and has been cutting age. Just, you look at his record, whether here on Sure Dog or, you know, Tapology, and either he was fighting as a pro at age 15 and a half, which... It's not outside the realm of possibility, but I've seen his early fights and he didn't look 15. Uh, you know, like this might be some like Filipino Little League baseball stuff. Uh, but even if, say, he is 26 right now, which I, if I had to guess, I bet he's probably 26. Uh, still tons of upside, still probably hasn't come into like his full power and like physical strength as, as a combat athlete. Yeah, I, I'm really high on the guy and he's at the perfect gym for a guy in his weight range. Uh, in particular. And then I love this Arce at Bantamweight thing. Like, I remember the Yule fight I picked against Arce. It's like, okay, so you're going to tell me that this kind of muscly guy is going to come back after like 20 months off and he's going to drop 10 pounds. Like, I'll believe it when I see it. And then he starched Andre Yule. You've used the perfect word. He laid him out. I just don't know if that's going to be... Uh, I don't think you'll be able to replicate that against Song. I'm I'm with you. Both these guys, there are some broad similarities in their game, and it should just make for, like, a wild fight. I expect there to be some great exchanges on the feet. I expect there to be some great work on, on the ground and in the clinch as well. Uh, you know, obvious fight of the night candidate here. But I'm I'm with you. I, I lean just slightly towards Song. So give me Song in a decision that probably picks up a little extra cash for both these guys at the end of the night. Third from the top of the UFC Fight Night 197 main card is a matchup that, laugh if you want, is possibly the fight that will put its winner closest to a title shot in their respective division. It is the featherweights, as former title challenger Felicia Spencer welcomes back Leah Letson to the octagon. Spencer, the 30-year-old Canadian by way of Florida, is 8-3 overall. She is 2-3 since joining the UFC uh, as the departing 
Invicta FC flyweight champ. If two and three doesn't sound that impressive, at least know that for the most part, she's fought championship level opposition every time out. She has beaten Megan Anderson and Zara Ferrando Santos, uh, has lost to Chris Cyborg, Amanda Nunes, and most recently back in May, Norma Dumont, who took a split decision from her at UFC Fight Night Font versus Garbrandt. She'll be welcoming back tough 28 veteran Letson, the 29-year-old Wisconsin native, is 5-1 and one in her mixed martial arts career. She is 1-0 in the UFC. She beat Julia Stolyarenko at the Tough 28 finale all the way back in November of 2018 and promptly disappeared for three years. Uh, she was rumored to have a couple of fights. She seemed to be following the example of basically the entire rest of the cast of that season and tried to drop to Bantamweights. Uh, those fights never panned out for a variety of reasons, but she is finally coming back to the Octagon uh, in November of 2021. The odds makers do not think her perfect UFC uh, tally is going to stay that way, as Spencer is minus 290 as the strong favorite, lets in plus 245 as the underdog. This is about it, ma'am. This is two of the last real featherweights. And when I say real featherweight, I basically mean someone who probably can't make 135. You know, like most of the, the UFC's so-called featherweight division is 135ers moving up either because they, they missed weight or, or, you know, just for a brief foray into the division. But the, these are two of the, the real featherweights. Spencer, I think spent like, I think Spencer's definitely better than her UFC record looks. Amanda Nunes and Chris Cyborg are going to beat a lot of people. And Norma Dumont actually seems to be growing into much more of a fighter than I thought she was when she debuted. Like, I thought she was going to be two losses and gone. And she's actually turned into a good fighter. Uh, she's the UFC main event winner. UFC main event winner. The <laughs> the uh, the prospect crusher, the controversy <laughs> yeah. creator. Like, I want you to tell me what you're doing. Man. That, that whole Aspen Lad corner thing. Hard to believe that was like less than a month ago. Anyway, uh, Spencer is a wrestler. That, that's it. Like she she wants to wrestle. She wants, uh, like she actually has some, she actually has some nice like traditional wrestling type shots. Like she's not one of the ones that just needs to crash into the clinch, try the headlock throw, or just, you know, clinch against the fence and just go for the, tip you over thing like she actually shoots from the outside uh she shot right through megan anderson's hips like she was you know uh, an ncaa champion granted megan anderson's legs are longer than spencer but uh she's got that and she's taking on someone in letson that i suppose it's possible that letson has added all new wrinkles to her game in the three years she's been gone i was shocked to realize that she's only 29 that she's actually younger than spencer like i hadn't thought about letson in a couple of years but if you just asked me i would have if you'd asked me you know six months ago what's up with leah letson i would have said i guess she's retired and i would have guessed she's like 33 years old um but Letson, from what I saw on Tough and in her limited number of fights uh, before then, is she's a hard-punching brawler. Like, she's not a, not a super technically adept striker, but throws with good power. She's just a, a big woman. Uh, again, I was surprised when she kept trying to make 135 because she seemed like one of the true featherweights. But that's the worst possible game plan. 
to bring in against Felicia Spencer. Like, I don't care if you're a power, powerful puncher. If she's, she's taken a combined 40 minutes of artillery from Amanda Nunes and Chris Cyborg and didn't get knocked out. Leah Lesson's not going to knock her out. Uh, so this one's pretty easy and straightforward for me. Uh, Spencer is going to come crashing into Letson, take her down. If Letson gets in a couple licks on the way in, that's fine. Spencer's got a, got a chin. Uh, we'll take her down with relative ease and either pound her out or uh, choke her out on the ground. Give me uh, Felicia Spencer by first round finish, and I'm going to say submission. Wow. So, yes, Spencer looked terrible in her last fight against Nora Dumont. You know, the first thing I wrote down in my notes is, like, I wonder if it's because of the beatings that she took from Cyborg and Amanda Nunes, like, they catching up to her. But I think some of it is just what you said. She's a wrestler, and she did not wrestle Norma Dumont. Like, I think she attempted one takedown or two takedowns. And she got a takedown late, but just kind of ran out of time. Mm -hmm. And she's not a great athlete. Say what Spencer. She's not a great athlete. She's kind of flat-footed. On the feet, I, I think I like her on the feet a little bit better than you do, but like I'm not throwing her a compliment. Uh, she has a Taekwondo background, so she switches stance a lot. She does a lot of push kicks, um, hook kicks, like uncon unconventional type kicks, side kicks, so like the Holly Holm side kick. She does hit hard, as you mentioned. Like she's also a bigger woman. The her and Letson have like very similar frame, like they're shorter stockier and trying to be nice like starkier women um but she really struggled with the speed of dumont which is kind of like a sign for if you're a 135 pounder that might be struggling at 135 you might want to move up to 145 because of the speed advantage seem like the and it's not many but like someone like felicia spencer would struggle with this the speed uh she gets hit a lot felicia spencer she had she lacks head movement but as you mentioned she's very physically strong she can just grind out in the clinch uh She's a good, dirty boxer. Like she slicing elbows. She caught. Uh, I think it was Chris Cyborg. She caught with an elbow inside that uh, that Joe Rogan made it sound like Chris Cyborg was <laughs> Chris Cyborg's weight of like a fifty forty four scorecard was extremely close fight because of one elbow. But uh, as you mentioned, she's a good wrestler. Uh, I shouldn't say good, but she she can shoot, get on top, heavy top pressure though. Like I think she's a strong grappler. She's a submission threat. On top, she's a top side grappler. If you put her on the back, though, she struggles. I mean, she struggles to get back up, but she has showed that she has a cardio. Like even in the last fight, like she won the last round against Dumont by having the better cardio. Uh, Lesson, Lesson, just she's such a wild card. I mean, as you mentioned, she's been out for three years. Like you don't know what she got, and when she left, she was twenty six. So she's at, at the age she can make a lot of changes. And one between the age, two between the time off, you know, that's a long, long time. Three years. What she left, not a great athlete, Southpaw. Uh, I would say high output brawler, as you said. Like she wants to kind of throw down in the pocket, but just win with volume. A lot of kicks. Uh, she knocked Elizabeth Phillips out with a, a beautiful high kick. I think it's more of an outlier, though. Like I don't, and I expect her to see throwing like Marco Corcott high kicks. Uh, she can wrestle, though. She's not the wrestler that Spencer is, but she will look to get a takedown. But she's not a submission threat in her career. Uh, I don't know if she even has a submission on, on her record. As as far as predictions go, I'm going to go with Spencer, too. Uh, she came in the UFC with more hype than Letson. She's been more active. She's fought better competition. And 
I don't like. I agree with you. I think Letson's best chance is probably on the feet, turning into a brawl. But if she puts her on the back, I've n- I haven't seen anything from Letson on the back, and we've seen Spencer on top. So give me Spencer. I'm gonna go with decision. It seems like I've, I don't know if I've picked. I picked a lot of decisions today. I'm gonna go with decision again. Give me uh, Felicia Spencer by decision. For the record, through nine fights so far, you have picked seven decisions. There you go. So hopefully, how many how many stoppages did you pick? Uh, I've only picked three stoppages, so I'm only one ahead okay. of you. <laughs> so, but but Keith is really trying to get his money's worth out of this card. You know what? Yeah, we got to get some time. We only have eleven fights. We're gonna try to stretch it out to the time that fourteen fights would be. And you know what? We kind of been spoiled last week with all the stoppages and how, how ex- actually the last two weeks have been really good cards. So yes, we got to suffer through one. Speaking of suffering, the co-main event of UFC Fight Night 197, the only heavyweight matchup on the card, features Ben Rothwell and Marcos Hagerio de Lima. Rothwell, the 40-year-old Wisconsin native, still going, is 39-13 and 13 over his well-traveled career. He's 9-7 and seven since joining the UFC after the collapse of IFL and uh, various other uh, promotions of the early teens. Uh, he's... Uh, Fought most recently in May, taking a second-round submission win over uh, Man of the Month Chris Barnett at UFC Fight Night Font versus Garbrandt. Prior to that, he dropped a unanimous decision to Martin Tybura last October. He's taking on uh, DeLima. The 36-year-old Brazilian is 18-7-1 overall. He's 7-5 in the UFC uh, notably, he is three and two since moving up to heavyweight from light heavyweight. He fought most recently back in May, taking a unanimous decision over Maurice Green uh, at UFC on ESPN Rodriguez versus Watterson. That allowed him to bounce back from his loss to Alexander Romanov last November. Uh, Rothwell is the slight favorite here. He is minus 150, Delima plus 130 as uh, the uh, as the slightest of underdogs. Man. Now, if you're watching this program, you may have remembered me last week saying that Chris Barnett versus John Volante was going to be the anti-fight of the night, guaranteed wretched wa- uh, viewing experience. So, obviously, I was proven wrong there. Happy to be proven wrong. Uh, you know, sue me. I didn't think the crazy stuff that Chris Barnett did on the regional circuit would actually translate uh, against uh, even John Volante, but it did, and and I'm happy to be wrong. But here I am, putting my my neck out again and saying that this fight just has yuck written all over it. Ben Rothwell, it some of the same things I actually said about Volante last week. Like Rothwell's physical gifts are gone. The thing that used to stand out about Ben Rothwell ten years ago is that for one of the biggest heavyweights in the sport. Uh, how kind of nimble and coordinated he was. Like, not as slow on the feet as you would expect from a guy that looks like Sasquatch. You know, better hand speed than you would expect from... And I've been in the room with a good number of UFC heavyweights. Rothwell is one of the ones where, as soon as he enters the room, even just out of the corner, you go, who the hell? And it's Ben Rothwell. It just looks like an NFL lineman walking into the room. Like, I don't know how much weight he cuts to get to 265, but I I suspect it's... a not insignificant amount, but that's all gone. Like he is now as slow as he probably should have been all along. Uh, his 
gas tank is his gas tank is not great. And that's even with him fighting at a miserably slow pace to try and conserve it. Yet on t- despite all that, he's still pretty defensively uh, sound and he's still huge and strong. And that adds up to kind of what I said about Volante last week. He's a guy that he doesn't have enough gas to make his game go, but he's tough enough that he like the uh, uh, even a younger, fresher fighter can't always get him out of there. Like the the Tybura fight was awful. Uh, the open St. Proof fight was awful. And he's taking on a guy in Marco Sagerio de Lima who. Oh, he's just the other half of a bad heavyweight fight. The funny thing about him at light heavyweight, and when you look at him now, you're like, that dude made light heavyweight because as soon as he moved up in weight, he just like, so he doubled in size. But he used to be a go-for-broke guy. He seemed to think, okay, I cut a ton of weight to get to 205. I know I don't have a gas tank, so I'm going to throw everything I have at this guy in the first round and see if I can just get this thing over with before I gas out. And so he'd either get a first-round finish, lose in the first round, or gas out horribly and, and lose late. Like, he, he was pretty fun watching at light heavyweight. That's all gone away at heavyweight. He is just slow, plodding striker, miserable, like maybe the worst ground game in the heavyweight division, which think about that for a sec. I know like think of how, like how I talk about Greg Hardy and then listen to me say, this guy might have the worst ground game in the heavyweight division. And, and the broadcast will talk about him. Like he's a grappler too. Well, he's Brazilian. He must have yeah, a black belt. Be. That's right. <laughs> he is a, he is terrible defensive wrestler and a, again, he's just like a turtle that's been flipped on on his back. Not only can he not get up, he doesn't even know where to start. Uh, The Really, I mean, he has good power. He had power at light heavyweight. It's translated to heavyweight, but the only place you really see it is he still throws really hard kicks. That's about it. Uh, If this thing gets a finish, it's probably going to be Rothwell landing on top in some kind of wild scramble, because I don't think either guy's going to try to bring it to the ground, but it'll be Rothwell landing on top and just him pounding out Delima or slapping on an arm triangle or something, but I'm not picking that to happen. Just give me Rothwell in a three round decision. That's kind of plodding and kind of dull. Yeah. So while you were talking, I was thinking about Ben Rothwell. What were you talking about? I said, like while we were on a break, I said, God, I just, I want him to retire. Like what's the point? He doesn't have a fan base. UFC doesn't get anything out of him. And then I just thinking about, Two two weeks ago, Glover Teixeira just won the title, and I'm just sure Ben Rothwell gets like motivated by that. Like this is his chance, and I'm like, oh no, like he's not gonna retire anytime soon because Glover Teixeira won the title. Uh, he's a big, burly heavyweight who's never a great athlete, but it, I agree with you saying was faster than he was. He has this like he has a really herky jerky weird style to his game now, where he dips to one side, throws on the other side, a lot of arm punches. He he. He's a huge guy, so he still has some kind of power. Uh, but you mentioned, uh, I, I'm a, I think his output is a little bit better than you think, but it's the threat is not there for 15 minutes, if that makes sense. It's like slappy punches, awkward, not hurting anybody. Uh, but he, he continues to move forward, plodding along. Um, Kicks, kicks used to be a big part of his game. That's gone. Like he didn't throw kicks anymore, um, but he still has good takedown defense. He's hard to take down. I think it was just a size thing with him, uh, and he has a submission threat. He's uh, if he 
and he's always his submissions come from like weird things like you know like a 10 finger guillotine or something like this like he's gonna attack your head um Rogerio, as you mentioned he used to be a light heavyweight now he's a guy that has a cut weight to 265 uh he's wild he he throws hard um he does have some kicks uh he has some hard kicks i think he actually is a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt um, that might, I think I heard that in the brackets. I'm, that might be me just guessing again. That might be me stereotyping, but I, I really think he is, but he's a terrible, you mentioned he's a terrible grappler. Uh, like Alexander, Alexander Romanoff submitted him, like just like bullied him into a choke. Um, or on choke. that's what I was saying. Yeah. I was just like, yeah. I thought it just like, I'm bigger, like big brother choked him. Oh, completely. Um, so he does have 12 knockouts, but a lot of those were at light heavyweight. So as far as prediction goes, oh, I have no idea who wins. I'm worried about both these guys. Rothwell looks really ugly and slow now and really looks every bit of his age. Delima just looks fat. In, and I wonder about his motivation. Uh, he has that John Volante body with him where he's a 205 pounder that's carrying like 60 pounds too much. I'm gonna go with Rothwell because he has the experience and he's he's still pretty good submission artist. Again, I don't know if he gets it there, but I could see some kind of weird thing. The Lima throwing a kick that he slips on, so, some something where Rothwell ends up on top, and then Rothwell finds a finish when he does. So, uh, I'll say Rothwell wins by second round submission and just some weird submission. Just some, yeah. just not one to be known with you. Just some weird one. Man, October 2009, Cain Velasquez. That's the last person to just run straight through Ben Rothwell. That's how much he's just kind of capable of slowing down a fight. That That's it. Yeah. That's it, And fantasy, he did have some time off in there, but yeah. No one, like, just beats the hell out of Ben Rothwell. Mm, no, he's, like, just a surprisingly tough fighter to look great against. That brings us to the main event, a scheduled five rounds of featherweight action between former champ Max Holloway and Yair Rodriguez. Holloway, the 29-year-old Hawaiian, is 22-6 and six overall. He's 18-6 and six in the UFC, is coming off a win in his uh, last appearance. That was back in January at UFC on ABC1, where he took a dominant five-round decision over Calvin Cater in the main event, setting, shattering the UFC record for significant strikes landed in a fight, shattering his own record, and he also th- holds the third place spot. But I think he landed like 500 strikes in that fight. That uh, allowed him to bounce back from back-to-back title fight losses to current champ Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, both of which were close and one of which was extremely close. At any rate, it is Holloway on what may be a long uh, track back to a third crack at that title for as long as Alexander the Great is holding it. He'll be taking on Rodriguez. The 29-year-old Mexican is 13-2 and two with one no contest. Overall, he is 8-1 and one with one no contest in the UFC. Uh, hasn't fought in a little over two years. His last appearance was a unanimous decision win over Jeremy Stevens at UFC on ESPN. Reyes versus Weidman in October of 2019. Uh, that was them running it back after their first meeting atop the UFC's Mexico City card in September of 2019 ended in 15 seconds with an inadvertent eye poke. 
Uh, Holloway, a prohibitive favorite here. Uh, Sherdog associate editor Jay Petri and I were just kind of brainstorming. When was the last time there was this big a favorite in a UFC main event that wasn't a title fight or a short notice booking? And it's it's been a while. Holloway right now, minus 650. Rodriguez plus 475 on the comeback. Uh, it's... I, I think, you know, anybody uh, who's big enough, of, uh, as big a fan of mixed martial arts, you know, to be watching our show probably has a handle on Holloway's recent history. You know, he uh, was the featherweight champ. He, you know, was cruising into probably one of the top three pound for pound fighters in, in the sport, ran into Volkanovsky and lost those two close fights. And just now it's a matter of, you know, the road back, you know. Uh, Rodriguez is a more interesting one. It's it's crazy how much, to me, the public perception and the public narrative about Yair Rodriguez has changed in the last uh, three or four years. You know, say four years ago, like after his loss to Frankie Edgar, even though that was his first loss in the UFC and it was a bad one, you know, Edgar mauled him on, on the ground. I think the, like, he was a fan favorite because his fights were just generally super exciting. Uh, he was young. The UFC was clearly behind him. Uh, you know, he came back from that uh, loss to Edgar, and he and Korean Zombie put on a fight of the year candidate, and he finished that fight with one of the most memorable knockouts of any year. Uh, just, you know, it wasn't ballet. It wasn't poetry in motion, but it was a sick knockout, and it turned a loss into a win with one second left on the clock. Like, he was going to lose a, de a decision if that fight went one more second, like even if Jung got back up, probably. Uh, so they booked him with Stevens for their uh, to headline, their Mexico City card. That tells you right there, like what a big deal Yair Rodriguez was to the UFC, because you know how badly they want to conquer uh, Mexico and the Spanish-speaking market in general. He was headlining the card, and it's been all downhill from there. Like there was the eye poke in 15 seconds, he gave a bad look by basically egging on the crowd to like boo Stevens for not being able to continue, which like whatever fighters do tactless and that's, tasteless stuff. That's when they were throwing stuff in. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, yeah, like bottles and stuff were land. Like it was an ugly look, but honestly, Brandon the, the, was hiding underneath the desk and stuff. Yeah, right, that's right. Brendan Fischero was hiding under the desk. <laughs> like, like I remember like Bisping tweeted out a picture of, like, uh, of <laughs> Brendan hiding. I am. I'm not proud. I'd be hiding under the desk too. Um, but like, obviously that was a bad look, but fighters do tactless and tasteless stuff all the time. And they live to tell about it. The worst thing it did for him was it locked him into a rematch with Stevens, who was a guy like ranked well behind him. That was basically only booked in the first place to be kind of like a winnable action fight in Mexico city and get the fans all charged up. So That's he right. ruined his own 2019. Uh, but in between all that, there was the thing of him getting cut by the UFC as their yeah. kind of strong arm tactic to get him booked. And because Dana gonna Dana, you know, he couldn't help from getting on the podium and being just like, well, he must be scared to fight the kind of fans that believe that shit ran with it. And ever since then, like Rodriguez has been out for two years, sometimes because of his own injuries, sometimes because of injuries to his scheduled opponents. Like this is several times now they've tried to make uh, this Holloway fight. They tried to make a fight with Zabit Magomed Sharipov like several times. times. Yeah. But because that's one of those are some of our last memories of him, the 
there's a segment of fans that while he's gone, just the, the idea festers that, okay, he's scared to fight or he was never that good. And I don't think either of those things is true. It's just, I, can, can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. Just think for how dumb that is. He's scared to fight, but he's scheduled to fight Max Holloway. The guy that you just said landed the most significant strikes. The top three, I believe you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe he's the owner of the yeah, top yeah. three spots. Anybody who just said Yair Rodriguez is, is that, like, that's one of the dumbest things you possibly can say on earth. Like, he's fighting Mike freaking Holloway. Yeah. Like, and, and even like the ones like you want to say step down, Jimmy Stevens is famous for like crushing, like, Jimmy Stevens crushed Josh Emmett's face. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Go on. No, I, no, I'm, I'm completely with you on this. Like, and he's just so stupid when fans say, oh, this guy's scared. No one's scared. He's the best student on the planet. He's one of the baddest dudes on the planet. And for what it's worth, obviously the the UFC had a sour taste on on him. They did that whole, we cut you and then we resign you three weeks later when you knuckle under and agree to our terms. But all the things that he seemed to be in line for in 2017 are still there for the taking. The UFC still really, really wants Spanish-speaking native Latino superstars and champions. Uh, There's still always a place for blood and guts action fighters. Imagine, imagine if he le- he actually did leave the UFC at that time and he joined the Bellator featherweight tournament. And now, obviously, it would have worked out with all the injuries and whatnot. But imagine if he was in that, dude. Like, so many of those matchups would have been ridiculous. Him versus Ma- Pitbull. Him versus McKee. Yeah, imagine him versus McKee now. <laughs> but Anyways. you know, it- imagine the UFC thinking we got to go from Ben Rothwell to Yair Rodriguez. Talk about the jump in athleticism. <laughs> Okay, sorry. Uh, I mean, it's it's all there for the taking still. Like, he's still only 29 years old. Like, sometimes it's hard for me to believe that Max Holloway is only 29 just because he's been in the UFC since he was 20. It just feels like he's been there forever. And with Rodriguez, it's hard for me to believe he's 29 just because it feels like 10 years that he's been on the shelf just because yes. he's, he's had such a weird run. But it's all still there for the taking. It's just, you have to win, you have to be exciting, and you have to be around often enough to stay in people's mind. I think it's a tall ask for him to beat Max Holloway this weekend. And, you know, we'll get to my pick and your pick in a minute, but I made the the argument in my column this week that it's even a win of sorts. If he just goes out there and puts on a blood and guts battle that at least reminds fans why he was Absolutely. so beloved in the first place, why the Absolutely. UFC was willing to put so much muscle behind him in the first place and just shut up for good anyone who thought that his refusal to step up on short notice and fight to beat Magomed Sharipov was because he was scared of anything. Uh, But having said that, the things that Yair Rodriguez does well do not play well in the Max Holloway's strengths. Can can I interrupt you real quick, though? Please. I I understand where you're going with, I mean, it seems like where you're going with prediction, but the negative 650, when you talked about the elbow that he landed against the Korean zombie, Mm-hmm. That alone, the ability to do a move like that to end a fight, probably the only person there's what seven billion people in the world, probably the only person in the world that could land that strike, <laughs> do something like that. That mm-hmm. right there should not make Max Holloway a negative six hundred and fifty favorite. Yeah, I, everything you said in the buildup tells you why Max Holloway should be a favorite and probably a significant favorite. Mm-hmm. But six fifty is insane. 
I I'm, I agree Fair because right. not only did he do that, but he, he did that at the end of a furious five round fight. Mm-hmm. You know, so if, if Yair so if Yair Rodriguez landed a high kick to open up the fight and knocked out Moxley, we'd all be surprised. Mm-hmm. But he definitely has the ability to do that. Like it's yes. like negative six fifty should be a man Nunes versus Leo Letson. Like that should be negative six fifty. Yeah, yeah, Rodriguez is still one of the top ten best featherweights in the world. He is. So, anyways, carry on. He's one of the top ten best featherweights in the world. He but is. All- we just saw what Max Holloway did to Calvin Cater. You could also say the same thing about. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. I'll, I'm going to mute now. Yeah, you're. And that's, and that's my problem. You know, remembering what Holloway did to Cater, remembering what Holloway did to Brian Ortega what he did to Jose Aldo twice, what he did to Anthony Pettis, because none of those were first-round starchings. All of those were Holloway doing the Holloway thing, where it's not that he's, like, he's not a slow or deliberate starter, but he is, a like, you like to talk about builders. He's definitely a builder. Like, he is like a giant avalanche or like a giant snowball starting to roll downhill, where it's not just that he doesn't get tired, but he seems to draw energy from seeing his opponents start to flag. And that's when he starts to launch these seven, eight, nine strike combinations where he's throwing punches with both hands, mixing in kicks, switching stances, like as he steps forward with kicks. I I mean, it's just like a combine harvester, just like mowing down a a field of grain. Um, And it's overwhelmed some of the best strikers in the division. Uh, Rodriguez, he throws, he probably throws harder like in terms of just single strike impact than uh, than Holloway like he is a one shot knockout guy he throws a great variety of strikes obviously he has a couple of he was head kicking everybody for a while uh but he throws hard kicks to all levels he throws really hard punches the combinations aren't quite as uh as pretty as Holloway's not quite as accurate and he does have five round cardio again as evidenced by the zombie fight but i don't know if he has five rounds against Holloway cardio just that's a different thing because he like if you had like a stamina bar for him and korean zombie there's like kind of went down at the same speed like it was a furious fight the whole time but they kind of slowed down at the same pace holloway doesn't do that if you start to slow down he'll pick up speed and that's what i see happening here i think this is going to be a great fight for as long as it lasts i wouldn't be surprised if rodriguez wins one or both of the first two rounds I mean, you know, Jose Aldo won the first round both times against Max Holloway. And Holloway ended up destroying him by the end of the third. Yeah. Uh, so I think this will be a great fight. I think, like I'd say, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Rodriguez has the momentum early on, if he has the lead going into the third round, if he has hurt Holloway a couple times. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he, like, lances Holloway with the same kind of head kick that knocked out uh, BJ Penn. And I forget who who else it was he knocked out like right before that. Um, oh, Andre Feely. Um, but I think Holloway with his just all timer of a, of a rugged chin will be able to shrug that off, come back and keep fighting by the middle of the third round. Holloway is going to take over and give me Holloway by fourth round TKO, just an accumulation of damage. Another one for the top 10 all time strikes landed uh, record list, but Holloway will just continue to make his case. Uh, for another shot at Alexander Volkanovsky. Yeah, so let me ask you two questions before I give him my pick. 
Now, you talked about the ongoing relationship Yaya Rodriguez has with the UFC and that obviously it's not good. But would it be good for the UFC if Yaya Rodriguez won? Yes. Okay. Holloway has this star quality. Like Everyone loves him. No one dislikes Holloway. You know, he's the Hawaiian Islands thing. He's just cool. Like, but yeah, I agree. Like, just like, I mean, just he's got his kid, challenger. Little Max. Like, you yes. know, telling him which, telling Dad which round yeah. to finish it in. He's throwing no look like jabs yeah, in yeah. Calvin Cater's face and talking to Dana White. Like, Max Holloway is a star. If but Max, if Max Holloway beat Alex Volkanovski and this was a title fight, I might say no. I might say no. But being that he didn't beat Alex, uh, I know there's a debate to that, but. You know, I think I, I scored a Volkanovski. I think you did too, right? Yeah. Okay, but either way, we're both. It was close, right? They just need new blood. A third yep. fight with Alexander Volkanovski, like, it just doesn't sell. Yep. And, yeah, I think uh, they just need a new guy. So that was my first question. My second question is, I'm listening to you break down. I think your breakdown is perfect. Yeah, I'm listening to you break down the fight, and I kept thinking about Petra Jan versus Corey Sanhagen. Is that, is that how you're kind of picturing it, where Rodriguez yeah. playing the Sanhagen role? Yeah. More, a more dangerous guy sim- in terms of, yeah. Similar. I mean, Rodriguez is obviously a lot more flashy than Sanhagen. kick, but like similar build, movement, kicks. Mm-hmm. And then Holloway's just that, as Petrion, very similar, where their boxing game is to not win a round. Their boxing game is to punish you and win the, the entire fight. Yeah. You know, that – so – I have a few fighters that I just love doing film study on. My my favorite guy is Israel Adesanya, but <laughs> I don't know. Watching film study of Max Holloway this week, that might have changed. Uh, he's really uh, he's a, his former opponent, Alex Volkanovski, is a guy who I've really enjoyed watching him. AJ McKee, when I was doing the previews for the beginning of the Bellator previews. Uh, by the way, if you forget, I did pick AJ McKee to win that one before it was cool. But... Uh, and I said AJ McHugh is the, the future star of Feltor, which that that's not too too good of a prediction. But like he was one of them. Uh, Petrion is one of them. But Max Holloway is definitely one of the most fun guys to watch because uh, he just has so many layers to his game. You talk about him being a pressure fighter. He's a pressure striker. Like, how do you? I think you're you're breaking down saying Yair Rodriguez has the cardio go 25 minutes, but he doesn't have the cardio go 25 Max Holloway minutes. Exactly. That's perfect. Like, I couldn't imagine if you're training a fighter for Max Holloway and you'd say, all right, we got to pick up our cardio. What is it? Be- to me, it's like, oh, coach, we, how do you, how does people do uh, sprints? You know, sprints is a good way to get your cardio up, though, that fast, uh, what do they call it, not aerobic workout, the anaerobic workout. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, we're going to do 40-yard dash. We're going to do 20 of them. We're going you know, to sprint all the way down, slow, drive back, do it again. Like, train him Max Holly, be like, hey, it's 25 minutes. No, you got to sprint for 25 minutes. Like, just run and, <laughs> and keep – no, 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 not slow jog. You're sprinting because that's how basically fight Max Holloway. And, and up a hill. Up Cause it's only, <laughs> yeah, because it's only going to get harder as you – yeah. Yeah, and, and every – like, for five miles, every mile, you got to put an extra weight on your back because Max Holloway is going to turn it up even more. Uh, insane volume. He is one of the Max Holloway. Obviously, I'm talking about still Max Holloway. One of the best, if not the best, boxer in in the UFC. I was in one of these like Facebook groups, and he asked a question of, you know, all the different p- pitchers, and it's like, you know, 
Fiziev is a guy that doesn't get credit, but he would be in it. But when it comes to straight boxing, it's to me it's like probably Holloway or Pichayan. And if Max Holloway had one punch knockout power, if he had that just end the fight with one shot, it'd be a no-brainer that he's the best boxer in MMA. Like, let we, me throw one thing out here real quick. Because in the middle of the – or towards the end of the cater fight when he was really just styling and feeling himself and he threw the no-look thing, what he yelled at Dana White was, I'm the best boxer in the featherweight division. It's like, dude, we, we already knew that. Like, yeah, aim yeah. high. Like, he's, well, he's I, so humble. No, the, well, the thing going into that was the cater saying he yeah. was best. So that but, was – Dude, yeah, like, like I'm really? the best fight. I'm the best boxer in the UFC, so at least people have something to, to debate. Like, well, that's like, and I side, I would piss some people off, but like when people want to debate Tom Brady, greatest quarterback, and I'm like, wait, we're still having the greatest quarterback debate, like quarterback, like that's that guy Phil Bucks Holloway, like where we're debating the divisional boxing, like no, Brady's not the best quarterback ever. Like, yeah, yeah, obviously he is. Like, he's the greatest football player ever. And I'm beyond that now. I'm like, no, he's the greatest team sports player ever. Like, wait, we're still doing a quarterback to me? Like, that's how I feel with, with, like, yeah, Mox Halloween. Anyways, back, back. So we talk about him being a bit of a slow starter. And as, as you mentioned, he's a builder. And when the train starts rolling, forget it. Like, there's no stopping it. But to his credit, I think he realized how much of a slow starter. And he really picked up the pace his last two fights. Uh, the Volk, the second fight, Vol- Volkanovski, he won the first round. He came out. Uh, I don't remember if he won the first round against – I think he probably did against Cater, but he also picked up the pace in that fight. Um, you talked about sw- stance switches. Besides fighting out of both stances, I love that he'll throw a combination of one stance and then completely change well, the, to the other stance So now and then attack with a completely different combo on that side. So he always gets you. You don't know which side. You feel like a like – a, like, Fighting Max Holly must feel like that when when a goalie is warming up like the, the hockey team and the team takes a shot and he's got to move this way and then this way and then they keep you know Ugh. the team they're just shooting shooting shots at him. Um, he can fight from every range, which is which is so impressive. I mean, from all the way out, he just pick your pot mid range. He's moving in, coming in the pocket. He's got good power. He just touches and then when an opening's there, he unloads big shots. His straight right is like a deadly piston. Uh, he throws combinations. I also I, I want to back up when I said throw combinations. What I love about Max Holloway, it seems like every fight there's this new combination that works for him that we haven't seen in other fights. And he's like so intelligent. He he attacks the body. He does have some neg- he actually stands up pretty tall for uh, a guy, and that is being just taller. And he struggled with, with Volkanovski faints. He kind of froze into Volkanovski's credit. And I said it last time, like he kept freezing Max Hollywood with the feints. Volkanovski did very well at slowing the pace down. That's what happened in that first fight. Is Max Hollywood and the leg kicks and all the Volkanovski did a lot of stuff. Kind of guessing, kind of made Max Hollywood be very defensive. But it also he fought at a much different pace. He fought at the pace that Volkanovski wanted to fight, which was which was huge. Uh, also, the the leg kicks were where he you know was taking out Max Hollywood's legs, but Max Hollywood's to his credit, in the second fight, he was throwing more leg kicks. We need to see more leg kicks out of him. Great takedown defense. Like, it's so hard to take down Max Holloway. You ju- you try to take him down, he's going to be launching a uh, tight guillotine. Um, and then the cardio to go 25 minutes. I mean, it's it's insane. Uh, and we always talk about his cardio. We also want, I want to throw out there is his heart. Like, he's been in battles, Poirier fight, Volkanovski's fight. And even like the Poirier fight, where he seemed like he was going to be put out, 
he made a comeback and almost won that fight. Now, move over to Yaya Rodriguez. I agree that Yaya is being grossly overlooked. The two-year layoff. This guy is so athletic. He's as athletic as anybody I've ever seen in the sport. I love his work from distance. He's got good output. And his kicking game is sensational. I was there in Boston when he fought Jeremy Stevens. But... Even more impressive than that, a couple days earlier when they did the open workouts, I was I was right against the 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 ring, and I'm filming stuff for Sure Dog, and I'm so close to him. And right before him, Dominic Reyes was hitting pads, and this is a guy who's known for his kicking, Dominic Reyes, and he's a light heavyweight, and it was like a incredible sound. Then yeah, 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 Rodriguez came out, and he was at least just as loud. Which was like, holy crap, like this guy's kicks. Besides like how fast they are, they have so much power. And then there's so much variety in his kicks. He'll come up with a tape kick. Then he'll turn into like a hard crushing body kick. Then he'll throw it in the bleak kick. Then he'll throw like a Holly Holm side kick. Uh, I like that he uses his kicks also to set up his boxing game. I don't – I've heard people say that he's a better boxer than he's cre- credited with. I actually think the opposite. I actually think he's a little bit wild on the boxing. But it works because – he can set it up with his kicks. He can kind of back him up, back him up with kick, and then all of a sudden large something. Obviously, you got to avoid the spinning attacks. I heard uh, someone say, I think it was Joe Rogan or somebody, says it's so hard to plan for Yarier Rodriguez because it's hard to predict what he's going to do because he, he doesn't even know what he's going to do. And that that's a really good way to describe it. Spinning attacks, obviously aerial attacks. He'll throw like a flying knee, stuff like that. But weak takedown defense. Uh, going against Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens took him down a couple times in that second fight. So that's an issue. But he throws up submissions off his back. I would be really surprised if he submitted Max Hollywood or if they went to the fight, went to the ground at all, but you never know. He has gone 25 minutes, and that was at a good pace against the Korean Zombie, but he slowed down in the second Jeremy Stevens fight. And that was a lot more wrestling heavy. And he, in the second round, he kind of tried. He, If you remember, he had Jeremy Stevens hurt bad. He was trying to finish it. So I think that might be, you know, just adjusting your pace. And I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, he really, really was gassed out in a 15-minute fight. How could he go 25? I always want to say this, and I, I know I'm a broken record, but in case we have new listeners, do not judge a fighter gassing out at 15 minutes on a 25-minute fight because you fight differently. The guy knew he only had two minutes left so he can go all out than if he had 12 minutes left. It's different. So as far as prediction goes, you seem very confident, Max Holloway. I am too. I mean, I know I was trying to build a suspense who I was taking, but I think people can tell by the way I broke him down. I I think there's a good chance he loses the first round, especially with the kicking game adjusting to the kicks. And that's that right there is one reason why I think negative 650 is crazy. Like, you give up the first round, well, you only had to split the next four. But splitting the next four against Max Holloway as the Bulls general is close to impossible. I think Max Holloway just smothers the kicking game of Yarier. I think he forced him to fight on his back foot. I mean, Korean Zombie was boxing him up with that strategy. And the Korean Zombie, and if it wasn't for that Hail Mary, if we just – if, if that Hail Mary went there and he lost the decision to Korean Zombie, I think he'd probably be a negative 800 favorite because we saw what would happen. I'll be talking about Hollywood being like a negative 800 favorite being when we saw someone with a similar kind of boxing game as Hollywood. I mean, probably a bit bigger hitter, but, you know, similar boxing game. 
and and Holloway kind of do the same thing. I think Holloway's going to make a statement. I think he wants to make a statement. I think he wants to remind people that he's the best featherweight in the world. I think he might have did it against Calvin Gator. I think he's going to make another statement. I think he's going to box him up. I agree with you. I think he's going to take over midway through the fight. It's going to be too much. I think Rodriguez is going to slow down, and that's when Holloway just gonna picks it up. The gap in the output's going to change. And give me Holloway. I think Holloway's going to get a knockout too. So give me Holloway. I think he's going to finish it in the third round. There you have it. Uh, two picks for Max Holloway to get the stoppage against Yair Rodriguez in the main event of UFC Fight Night 197. That's it. 11 fights up, 11 fights down. You have our picks, our predictions. If you would like to hear our reactions after the fights, which I assure you they're worth your time, uh, check us out on the SureDog front page or just go directly to the SureDog YouTube page where we will be recapping all of these fights, uh, talking about the implications, possible matchmaking, and any storylines and things of interest that cropped up. We will take your questions, your comments, your hot takes. Uh, so join us just right after the main event. Between now and then. Yeah. Ben, can I just jump in? Please. I want to give our listeners five things they can do in the meantime. For between now and Saturday. One, like this video. Two, comment. Say something nice. Don't say something mean. <laughs> Three, share this video. Four, subscribe to SureDog if you haven't already. And number five, check out Ben's sweet hat. You can go over to the SureDog uh, store and get one of those sweet hats for yourself. There you have it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you on Saturday. Mm-hmm.